All right, well, if you can grab your Bibles for this morning, we are returning to Revelation chapter 21. So if you can open up to Revelation 21, and we will continue on in this chapter. We're making it toward the end. We're getting to the last chapter, but I have kind of slowed down, which I have in parts, as you know, if you've been with us or uh, watching online or catching our archive uh, videos or messages online. We've kind of slowed down here and there, here in our study in the book of Revelation, but uh, here in chapter 21, we're kind of like slowing down too, and we're making our way through this chapter. So back, we are back here, Revelation chapter 21. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Lord, thank you again for this morning. God, my heart is just filled with you and your presence and I'm so blessed to be here, to worship you, to give you our our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you. And Lord, now that we open the word, God, your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would anoint it by your spirit. God, give us ears to hear what what the spirit says, Lord, to the church. Give us uh, a mind to understand your truths and principles. Lord, help us to know what what it is that you're trying to tell us, God. And I pray that you speak loudly into our hearts that we may be transformed. So bless your word, anoint it now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, the other week I I caught, I don't know if you guys caught this article. The headline was, $18.5 million home becomes Maui's most expensive sale this year. This 6,860-square-foot house, it was in McKenna, uh, with six master suites, a home theater, a large gourmet kitchen, high-end like all kinds of doors and windows all over, uh, vanishing-edge pool, all, all that, all that, you know, stuff. Uh, even a waterfall garden, it was sold here in Maui, $18.5 million. I mean, that's crazy. But you know what? That made me think about, actually, it made me think about the most expensive home in Hawaii. And it was listed for $70 million. I can't believe that. That was in Kauai. And um, it was uh, on a 15.3-acre waterfront property. And so it made me think about that home. I remember when it was sold back uh, years, a few years back. And so I, just for fun, I took a video tour, just for fun, yeah. And it was a tour of this 10,000-square-foot living space, walls of glass and stone. There's a two-story main house with six bedrooms, six-and-a-half bathrooms in the house, uh, large living areas, open, kind of open-air lanai feel. And the main master bedroom, just the master bedroom, is 1,100 square feet alone. Our house in Paio is smaller than that, I think. That's just the master. Meteor rooms, gym, everything. You know, there, there's a farm even with a working coconut and pineapple farm, swimming pool, large lanai, everything. And so the property was listed at $70 million, but sold for $41.6 million. It was less, way less than the asking price, but it was still, it holds the record for the most expensive single-family home sold in Hawaii. Wow, incredible. What, what a mansion, you could say. That's a mansion, right? Well, I, as I was thinking about that, 
it made me also think about, remember in John chapter 14, when Jesus said that he will go and prepare a place for you, right? A place to live in heaven. And this is the Father's house, and that will have many rooms, ESV, but the old King James is mansions, right? The Greek word actually means a place to stay, and actually means like a very nice large place to stay. So isn't it great to know? I'm just bringing these two thoughts together, that as believers in heaven, you and I will be living in this multi, multi, multi billion dollar place, right? That's what we have to look forward to. And as we return to our study in the book of Revelation, we actually get a closer look now of the new Jerusalem, which we've been talking about in this chapter, the new heaven, this final eternal realm that, that's the goal where God is going to bring us to. And so God basically here in our passage, we get a closer look, a tour of this new heaven. And so I titled our message that we get a tour of our place in eternity. That's the title of our message, and we're actually going to do part one. I split this up in two parts. I thought, ah, do it all once, but I thought, nah, we're going to take our time a little bit here. Now, in part one, we're going to cover verses 9 through 21 this morning. Revelation 21, 9 through 21, if you're taking notes. And our outline is this, the breathtaking mansion, the special memorial. Number three, the impressive measurements. And number four is the high-end materials. And just so you get a peek of next week, part two, we're going to go on to verse 27 from verse 22. And the rest of our outline will be number five, the glorious manifestation, the equalized membership, and then number seven in outline will be the uncorrupted morality. So that's next week. But let's begin here today. We begin here today in Revelation chapter 21 with number one, the breathtaking mansion. The breathtaking mansion. And here, if you're taking notes, we're going to be covering verse 9 through 11 in this first section. So take a look with me here in Revelation 21. Uh, Let's go ahead and read verse 9 and 10. Take a look here. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So we'll stop right here. Now, we begin here with John the Apostle, again, writing now. He's writing what was shown him next. So he says, then, then came one of these angels. Now, this was after the Lord Jesus had promised, right, for those in heaven. That was our title last week, this promise of what we're going to have in heaven. And and that was uh, uh, right before that. We saw from verse 1, didn't we, that what we were going to live in, as I mentioned, is this new heaven, the new Jerusalem, the new eternal realm. Yeah, the old earth, the old universe, power already, it's gone. And God's going to create this whole new place for us to live. So after we get this look now, this sneak peek, I call it, right, of this new eternal realm, where we're going to spend forever, next now, then John writes here, 
uh, came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. So you remember, we covered that in Revelation chapter 15. If you want, you can go back there. But these seven angels were tasked to administer each of them uh, one of the seven bowls, the bowl judgments that were poured out upon the earth during the tribulation. So here's one of those angels, and he comes to John. He says, come, come, come here. And why did he come? Well, the angel tells him, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The lamb is Jesus Christ, we know. The bride, we know, is the church. But we learned, didn't we, that at this time it also includes the Jewish believers and also the tribulation saints, those who have been saved during the tribulation because the church was taken up to be with Jesus in heaven right before the tribulation years. So now the bride, or in other words, the wife, the angel says, come, I want to show you this. I want to show you here what we see. So the angel carries, verse 10, John away in the spirit to a great high mountain. Now, in the spirit talks about that he has this vision but it's not like just some dream but spiritually he's like sent forward in time and he has this vision he could see there he's there and then he's taken to we read here this great high mountain now I was thinking wait there's no earth anymore like we know there's a new heaven and a new universe that's going on so perhaps we don't know exactly but this is some vantage point where John can see everything. And so he's taken to some high vantage point, and there the angel showed John, what? The holy city, which is Jerusalem, and this is the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, uh, coming down from heaven from God. Now, we saw this, didn't we, in verse 2. If you look up in verse 2, John also saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And we learned back then that he, the heaven came down as a prepared bride, verse 2, adorned for her husband. We learned that it was, it was like, like seeing this new heavenly home, Jerusalem, coming down as like a bride coming down the aisle, prepared, all dressed in white, to come and be with the groom forever. So it's the same thought going on. And this new Jerusalem, remember, is the believers, right? All the believers. And they're the church. They're the wife. They're coming together in this special, close relationship with God. So we see really the body of believers that are living in Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, coming down into this new universe to come finally into this living in this close relationship with the Lord. And I love this, if you think about this, and back to verse 10, where it says, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This was made from God. God created this new Jerusalem. God created this new world for us to live in with the Lord. He is the maker, right? This is the place whose uh, designer, right, Who are, whose architect and builder is God, Hebrews 11.10. So, 
What we see here, God, John is now given from God a closer look at this final heaven. As, as what he saw up earlier in Revelation 21, more like we saw this overview of what God has done. Now we're coming into this closer look. Verse 2 was kind of like farther out. And, and, and John said, oh, here's the bride coming, taking her place like a wedding. But now John is given another look. In this vision, a closer look at this new place that believers are going to be living in, at this mansion that Jesus talked about in John 14. So that's the idea here. Now look at verse 11. John then describes it this way. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now John describes this place as it, this is the place that contains having the glory of God. In other words, this is where we are going to get the foolish, one commentary said, the fullest expression, I like that, of the presence of God. God himself will be there, as we've been talking about for weeks now. And so here's the glory of God, the presence of God. God is right there. And it's seen... In verse 11, in its radiance, like a most rare Jew, the, the whole city is shines in this eternal realm like a rare and precious jewel. Uh, in other words, it, 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 it's, it's like shining. Here's New Jerusalem. Think about this giant, precious gemstone. And then John, in the best way he could describe it, he says it's like, it's like, it's like Jasper. Now, ja this jasper, the commentators tell us, it's not like today. This is a jasper that we probably haven't seen this stone, but it's more like a diamond. It's, think about that. It's clear as crystal, like unblemished, perfect in every way. So John uses the best earthly terms to describe this heavenly, incredible, beautiful place. So John saying, oh, I saw this. this is the glory of God. It was shining out, radiating with God's glory. And this new Jerusalem is like a clear crystal diamond. He must have been amazed to see that. It must have been such a sight to see. It must have been just jaw-dropping, right? Uh, speechless almost here. John MacArthur wrote in his commentary, it is like a diamond, not with light shining on it, but with light shining from it, coming from the inside and refracting its rainbow colors all over. So think about it that way. Not so much the, the light is shining on it and it's, it's reflecting that, but from the inside because of the glory of God that is emanating from it. And we're going to see in, in, in a little bit, we're going to see all the different colors that this new Jerusalem is going to have. So, Here's what we see here in this section. This is a view of the breathtaking mansion where believers will spend the rest of eternity. So kind of capture that feeling as John sees this Jerusalem. It's, it's breathtaking. It's amazing. He's probably like, what? this is our home? This is our place we're going to live in from, from the, today all into, into eternity? This is what's being set up? This is breathtaking for John. 
the Scottish preacher George MacDonald was talking story with his son about this chapter. They're looking at this chapter, and he was just talking story, talking about it, and reading it. And his son commented, like, wow, it seems too good to be true. Well, with a smile on his face, MacDonald replied, no, it is so good, it must be true. I like that. You know why? Because think about that. Let me ask you. Does God do like shoddy work? Right? No, he doesn't. I mean, whatever he builds, whatever he puts together, it's going to be great, right? God does not do anything with a half effort. God does not get by with cutting corners, right? God does not use cheap materials, and we're going to see that. God does not do work that doesn't last, like, well, you know, maybe halfway into eternity. Oh, we got to remodel again. No, no, God does not do that. God does not settle for, like, poor workmanship. I mean, do you believe that? No wonder it's so good, it must be true. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about heaven, our home, the place we're going to? It's going to be incredible. It's going to be breathtaking for us. It's going to be beyond anything we've experienced or lived in ever. But let me put this out to you. As, as we're looking at this passage and we're realizing how breathtaking, how awesome this is, you know what? It should speak to us that in the same way God's going to do this incredible thing for our home in heaven, he's doing this incredible thing in us, right? We are his workmanship, right? Ephesians 2.10. He's creating us. We're new creations in Christ. So guess what? God isn't going to do poor workmanship in your, your, your life. No way. He's going to continue to do his work above and beyond that. We can even imagine. He's not going to settle for less, right? He's going to pursue the best in your life. He's not going to give up when, when, when you make it hard for him. No, he's going to keep on working. And he has this plan already in place for you. So I have this to say to you this morning. With all confidence, I can say that God is doing an incredible work in your life. Understand that. I think we're the ones who resist that. I think we're the ones who don't see that. I think we focus in on the other parts, our struggles and weaknesses. And yeah, it keeps us humble. But understand in faith what God is doing, can do, and will do. Because as we look at this incredible, breathtaking mansion that he's built, God is going to change you and make you into something amazing. Something amazing, you guys. God, if God makes an amazing, breathtaking place for us to live in eternity, then God can make you into someone amazing in Jesus Christ. So know that. Know that you're loved, yeah? Know that he's working. Know that, that you are. Think about this. You are amazing in God's eyes. Well, I don't feel amazing. Well, maybe you don't feel it. And maybe there's still things God's working on in you. But you know what? He's saying, I see the finished work. I see the potential in you. I see what I'm working toward. And what I make, oh, it's going to be good. Yeah? It's going to be amazing. 
So let me tell you today, you are amazing because of what Christ is doing in you. You know, years ago, I was struggling. I was going through one of the hardest things in my life. And I was doubting a lot of things, doubting myself, doubting a lot of things. And, and, and someone, uh, this other pastor, years ago, uh, we're, we're talking. I was just sharing my heart. And you know what? The Holy Spirit gave him the right word. He turned to me and he said, Rick, I believe in you. And that was the spirit. I thought, oh, Lord. You, you still believe in me after all this? Oh, Lord. And so I believe in God. And so I believe in you, each and every one of you, that God is doing an amazing work. You're amazing. So we begin here, a tour of our place in eternity, this breathtaking mansion where we're given this introduction, this view right away. Let's go to number two. The special memorial, the special memorial. We're going to cover verses 12 through 14. 12 through 14. Take a look at 12 and 13 first. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates and on the north three gates and on the south three gates and on the west three gates. Isn't this great? We're getting some more detail of this new Jerusalem. I mean, earlier in verse 2, we just talked about this new heaven, this new Jerusalem coming down. But now we're getting into this new, more detail, closer look. So John takes this closer look and he says, wow, it, it had this great high wall. This wall was super high and we're going to see how high it is in a moment too. Uh, it has 12 gates now. Now understand in the ancient times, yeah, the, the cities, and we think of Jerusalem, I remember going to Israel, and there's a wall all around the city, the old city. And so in the old times, they would build a wall of protection and keep them safe at night and all of that. So this had a wall too, this new Jerusalem, there's a wall. And in the ancient times, there were gates. In other words, there were entrances. There were entryways. They could close the gate at night and open them up in the morning. And so this is where people could come into the city, go in and out of the city. Well, here in this new Jerusalem, it has 12 gates. And at the gates, guess who's there? 12 angels are posted at the gates. So there, we're going to see later on that there really is no need for protection in heaven. We're safe, totally. But there's these angels that God has posted there for us. And look, it tells us that all the Peter at the gates jokes. Yeah, It's not biblical, so understand that. Peter's not at the gates. Peter's probably like, why would I be at the gate? I want to be inside the city, right? No. So there's angels at the gates. And then verse 12 it says, and on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And so on each of the 12 gates was one name, uh, each one of the 12 tribes of Israel, each one of the heads of the families like Judah, you know, all, all the names there. And verse 13 tells us the location of the gates. Three were on the east, three north, three were on the south, three were on the west. So it was divided equally on each side of the walls of, of the new Jerusalem here. So 
we see here the names of each of the tribes were inscribed on each of the gates. Why is that? It's for a memorial. They, their names were put there as a memorial. Now, why is that? Why would their names be put there? Well, they represent Israel, all of Israel. And we know, don't we, through our studies, we know through the Bible that it was through the people of Israel that the Lord chose to bring the knowledge of God into the world, right? God gave them the law. God gave them the scriptures. God gave them the, the, the covenant of bringing sacrifices, which was a pre-shadow of Christ. God chose Israel to be the ones to bring the truth of God and, and the knowledge of God of who he is and what he requires and what it's about to have a relationship with God. He used Israel. So their names on the gates were to acknowledge and eternally honor the people of Israel who brought the truth and word of God into the world. I kind of like to think about it this way. I like to think about how their names are on the gates, right? And so Israel was like that gate which God's truth entered into the world. So I think that's a, a, a neat little thought there. Well, not only that, look at verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. All right, not only does John notice these gates, but there's these foundations, and I believe it's to the wall. And there's, there's like 12 foundations. Perhaps maybe there's a foundation on each corner place, and then maybe two in between, and that'll make 12 in this whole uh, 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 wall here. And so there's these foundations, and on the foundation is the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's Jesus, right? So each foundation has one name, another foundation has another, and so on and so forth. Peter, John, James, so going around this whole wall around the city with their names. Now, you may be going, wait, wait, wait. I can see 11, yeah. But who's number 12? Yeah. Because we know Judas was one of the 12 disciples, but he betrayed Jesus and left them. And so there wasn't this 12th one at that time. But who's the 12th? Well, some say it's um, Matthias, right? Acts chapter 1, Peter stands up and the, the, the meeting and says, well, we've got to replace Judas. Um, let's cast lots and see who the Lord has. And it fell on Matthias and he, he was the 12th apostle. Some believe, some uh, pastors and commentators and theologians, they actually think that, I, I think it's Paul. I think Peter jumped the gun, and it should have been Paul who was that 12th apostle. And we know the apostle Paul wrote much of the New Testament. So there's that thought. Maybe it's that, that 12th stone. Maybe it's Paul, the apostle Paul. Who knows? You know what? The first thing I'm going to look for is that stone. I'm going, no, 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 no. Who is that? And we'll know. We'll find out then. But either way, the names of each of the apostles are inscribed on each of the foundations as a memorial. Just like the gates with the names of the tribes of Israel, so the foundation is a memorial. And it is there because Jesus has raised, raised up the disciples, right? They became apostles to tell the truth of Jesus Christ and salvation, how he died on the cross. They were the ones to bring what? The gospel, right? 
the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and scriptures. They were the one that were first to bring the gospel into the world. And we saw it. We see that in the book of Acts. Yeah? We see how God raised them up and used them and planted the early church. And what we're doing today is because they started it. They were the pioneer guys. So, the 12 apostles, their names were put upon the foundations to acknowledge and eternally honor the apostles who brought the truth and the word of Jesus Christ and the gospel into the world. So that makes sense, right? The only way we can get to heaven is through Jesus, so they're honored. The only way we even knew about God, it started back in the Old Testament with Israel. So these guys are honored. This is this memorial given to them on the walls of the New Jerusalem of our heaven. You know, I think about this. These actually, the apostles laid down the, quote, foundation of the truth of Jesus, who himself is, I quote, the chief cornerstone. That's in Ephesians 2.20. So they kind of laid down, yeah, the, the gospel truth of Jesus, and so they're in that foundation. All right, what we see in these three verses now is this. The special memorial graciously honors these who represented God's truth and redemption. The special memorial graciously honors these who represented God's truth and redemption. You know, I think about those who brought me to Jesus. You ever think about that? I mean, I would not be here unless uh, my best friend in high school brought me to church. Yeah? And I got saved when I was 14. I think about those, even during that time, who poured into my life. I remember going to a small Bible study with my friend and I and one other friend. And, and uh, her father taught a little Bible study to us every week. I learned about the Holy Spirit and baptism, a bunch of things. It's just the three of us. And I'll never forget those days. I think about those pastors and sitting under Pastor Chuck and how he gave the word and poured the word out and helped me to grow in Christ. I mean, all along my journey as a Christian, I remember those, and I am forever thankful, and I honor them in my thoughts right now. I honor them. I'm not going to take the time to name them all, but I honor them. And, and, and this is the same thing. God himself honors Israel and the apostles who brought the truth of Jesus Christ and salvation in him to the world. And everyone who passes through those gates, everyone who, who sees the foundations, they're going to say, wow, if it wasn't for them, I would not be living in this place, right? So that's the same idea. Let's, let, and, and let, let's honor those, you know? Whether in our mind, maybe time to time, call them and say, hey, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing Jesus, because my life is different today, and I would not be here unless God had used you. Yeah. Honor them. But let me say this. Let you and I continue to do the quote-unquote honorable thing. What is that? To continue this legacy of sharing the truth of Jesus to others. To continue to bring Jesus Christ to the people around us, our neighbors, friends who aren't saved, family who need Jesus, that we would keep praying for them, that we would bring 
the salvation of Jesus, the gospel, to this dying world. And you know what? I believe one day God is going to honor you. God is going to honor each one of us as we go to heaven. He's going to honor us for taking part of furthering the kingdom of God. And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that? I want to hear that. I want to, let, I want to hear that I did right with the Lord in sharing Jesus. You know, there's a plaque in a church on an island in Vanuatu in the South Pacific, and it commemorates this missionary, John Getty, who went there, and he, he lived 24 years there. And on the plaque that honors him, it says this, When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. I love that. I love just what that says about him, right? And his story. Let it be our story too. All right, our, a tour of our place in eternity. We've seen the breathtaking mansion, the uh, special memorial. Now number three, the impressive measurements. The impressive measurements. Now let's go to verse 15. Uh, we're going to cover verse 15 through 17. And let's read all three verses here. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement and we'll stop there all right so now we're going to get a little more perspective a little more idea about this heaven about this new jerusalem about where our place our our home in eternity all right so the angel now he he uh uh the one who spoke to john the same angel he had he has he comes out with this measuring rod of gold to measure the city, the gates, and walls. So to measure, measure this whole home for us. So he comes out with this measuring rod of, uh, made of gold. And I thought, well, that, that's pretty cool. It's, it's top-notch yeah, <laughs> measuring. It's, uh, maybe I thought, oh, it's gold. It's yellow. It's a DeWalt, maybe. No, just joking. <laughs> but anyway, those of you who get that. But uh, So he measures the city, the, everything there, and John writes something interesting here. The city now lies four square. In other words, the city is exactly this square. The length is the same as the width. And then the angel uh, gives John his measurements, 12,000 stadia. Now, stadia is a Greek form of measurement, so John would understand that back then. And if you have a modern translation... You'll, you'll see that it's translated as like 1,400 miles. Uh, some commentators say 1,380 miles to be exact. So I'll just say it's about 1,400 miles in its length and in its width. Matter of fact, we go on to find here that uh, not only is that its length and width, but notice at the end of verse 16, the height are equal. So it's 1,400 
miles in its width, in its length, and its height is 1,400 miles also. So picture this cube. This whole city is a cube. Isn't that crazy? I mean, we're so used to this this, this way, linear, right? You know, uh, we may think of two-story homes, and oh yeah, we go up. But, but this thing, as wide and deep as it is, it's as high. This city, this place, our home. And then John tells us that he also measured a wall. It's 144 cubits, and I believe that's talking about its thickness. And if you translate the cubit into today's measurements, it's about 216 feet thick. And uh, so John says, and you know what, this was the human measurement, like, so we can understand it. And he said, it's the angels. It's what he, he gave us. So it's not John's calculation, but the angel gave that to John. It's not like, well, John, did you get something wrong here? Are you sure? 1,400 cube? What, what, what is this? Well, the new Jerusalem, our eternal mansion, this place, is going to be this 1,400-mile cube. Now, that's hard to, to put into our minds. But again, God is making something incredibly amazing and breathtaking. And so we just, wow, this, it's hard to imagine you know what's hard for me is, is imagining this cube. And, and, you know, we're used to, like, our streets, you know. Well, you know, you head north to south, yeah. Or you go from east to west, yeah. And, and you imagine that. But this is a cube. So perhaps, and I believe, that the streets won't just go horizontally in different directions, but I think it'll even go vertically. You're like, what? Why not? Yeah. It's a cube. It's a city as a cube. So perhaps there's like uh, uh, streets that go vertically. And it's kind of like, well, how are we going to do that? Well, remember, this is the eternal realm. And remember, we're going to have our glorified bodies, right? Remember, there's not going to be the same like gravity, you know, forces that we, we contend with today. So I think we're going to be able to go this way, this way. And when we say literally, hey, I'm going to go up to the store, we're literally going to go up to the store <laughs> in our glorified bodies. So I, 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 heaven's going to be this whole new dimension. I just picture some of, you ever see some of those movies, yeah, where the streets are like this? and You know, that's a, I picture something like that. Now, 1,400 miles square, a cube, our home, this place we're going to live in. You ever wonder, will there be enough room here? Well, I want to share with you something interesting that one commentator, Henry Morris, said to kind of help you get this perspective. Now, I'm not going to give you everything, but he had calculated from Adam's time to now, there's been like about 100 billion people. Uh, well, he even totaled that into the millennium, the end of the millennium. Remember, we have, you know, uh, the age now we're, we're living in, the rapture, the tribulation, and then the millennium after that, and then um, the great white throne judgment, and all that, and then we have the, the new heaven. So up until the end of the millennium, he had calculated about 100 billion people would have lived, lived and died or alive. And then he assumes that maybe 20% would have been saved, 
and that includes babies who have died. And so he comes up with this kind of number about 20 billion people. And so 20 billion people would be the residents of this new Jerusalem. And then he thought about, well, let's add to this. 25% of this new city may be, uh, you know, allotted for parks or streets, maybe some public buildings he just kind of threw in there. So that, that, that means that what is divided and what was left over in the square footage of this city uh, into the 20 billion who are saved, Morris calculates this that each person would have about 75 acres. Each person. I live on a half acre. I think 75. Every one of us is going to have this huge piece of property. Now that's a mansion, right? That's a mansion living on that. So that gives you a little perspective on this new Jerusalem of this new heaven we're going to be living in. So our point here is this. The impressive measurements tell us that our place in eternity, you know what, is nothing like earth at all. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, Not at all. It's impressive. It's something, whoa, this, this is amazing. You know when Marco Polo, the pioneer explorer of the 13th century, when he lay dying, his critics came out and urged him, you got to tell the truth, Marco Polo. you got to recant all these, these incredible stories that you told about uh, the, the, the land, about the land in the Far East, China, and, and all that. You see, they didn't believe him. They, they thought it's too wild, it's too far-fetched. But Marco Polo refused and just said, I have not told half of what I saw. I think that's the same thing. What we're looking at here in chapter 21, when we get into chapter 22, it's not even half of everything we're going to see and experience. Perhaps we can feel the same. God, I don't know. This is just hard. This is unbelievable. But, but remember, what is this for reading? It's the word of God, right? It's it's how God communicates to us, right? We believe the in, infallible word of God, right? We believe that this is his word, that that's only truth is contained in here, right? So if God says this is what it's going to look at, then what that look like, what does that mean? It's going to be this, right? It is going to be this. So in faith, we go, wow, Lord, yeah, well, we accept what we're reading is true. Let me bring your thought one more, or, uh, one more step. Can you do that with other parts of God's Word? If you're like, yeah, oh Lord, I can't wait. Yeah, this is amazing. Ooh, this mansion. Oh, I can't wait to take the tour of my acres. Yeah. And you're believing that, but how about some other parts in the Word? How about other passages? Like when God says, I love you. Sometimes we fight that in ourselves, right? Sometimes, I don't know if God will love me. I've sinned too much. I failed him. I don't know. God's word says he does. He loves you with this 
everlasting love. Take that by faith here. How about when the, the word tells us that when you believe in Christ, you give him your heart, yeah? When you receive him as the Lord, yeah, who rose from the dead, when, when you surrender your life, if you believe yeah, in the Son of God, that you will be saved. Sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know. God, did you really save me? Am I, am I saved? If you understand what the word says, that the atonement of Christ has cleansed us of all of our sin. All of our sin. Not just, well, I, oh, God, I know you forgave me up until the point I gave my heart to you and I was saved. Yeah. But after that, I don't know. Do I got to work for something? Do I do, do, got to do good? No, he died for all of our sins, right? Doesn't make an excuse for us to sin. But in those failures, in those times we stumble, the blood of Christ is still there for you to forgive you. That's what the word tells me. So you know what? You're forgiven. God has cleansed you. Get up. Let's get going again. Yeah? You're a new creation, the Bible says. God is making you, yeah, moving in your life. Well, everything I said earlier about that, that's in the Word. Do we put our faith in that? I don't know. I'm, I've had people tell me like, oh, well, Pastor Rick, you know, God, you're the favorite ones. You know, God's with you, not me. Look at my life. No, don't look at your life. Look at the Word. We shall all have tribulation, Jesus said. Yeah. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we can have peace with this word. We, how about this? That in Romans, it tells us, like Romans 8, that we are children of God. Adopted children. Adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. And you parents understand that our children, no matter what they do, they're always loved. Yeah? They're, 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 they're connected to us through blood. And they're, they're always going to belong to us no matter what. And guess what? God is saying, you're my children. You're my son. You're my daughter. So wherever you stay today, do not give up on yourself. Because God is not giving up on you. You are loved. And how do I know that? Because this book tells us so. Hold on to that today, you guys. Hold on in faith in what God is telling us. So if you believe all this about heaven, you're like, yeah, I can't wait. Then believe these other things. Believe the promises of God is true. All right, let's move on here to number four now. Uh, the high-end materials, our last heading here this morning. And we're going to finish off here from verse 18 through 21. We've seen the breathtaking mansion, the special memorial, the impressive measurements, and now the high-end materials. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like 
glass. So John comes in, gives us more detail about the walls and the city, and he says the walls, they were like jasper, that diamond, uh, diamond-like precious jewel. And, and no wonder it, it shines so much, right? The, 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 the walls were made of that. And, and, and then the city itself, it was made of gold, but a pure gold, clear as glass. It's so pure, it's, it's like clear here, but it's gold. I, this kind of gold is a different caliber than ever seen before. And we've already seen that wall, the walls, the city, this heaven is made with high-end stuff, first-class stuff, beyond even Earth's standards. Then he goes on, look at verse uh, 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first one was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth, verse 20, uh, onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, uh, and jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And then verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So the foundations now, the wall, they were adorned or like inlaid now with all these different precious jewels, these precious stones. And so we see this list given to us, jasper, uh, that diamond-like gem I talked about. Sapphire, it's a shiny blue gem. Uh, agate is like sky blue. with uh, Some have like stripes on it. Emerald, we know green. Onyx is, is a red gem with like white stripes. Carmelian is a red quartz stone. Uh, chrysolite is gold or yellow and kind of clearish. Beryl is... is um, all I could think of is my wife like seafoam green. So it's kind of like that kind of color. Topaz, a yellow green green stone. Uh, a chrysophrase, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you can translate that. Golden tinted green. Jackson, uh, magenta, and amethyst is a purple. So just imagine all the different colors, yeah? Inlaid into the foundation here. I, I, it's an unbelievable, all the colors that are coming out. And then we see the 12 gates in verse 21. They were made each out of 12 pearls, one pearl each. I mean, that's a, that's a big pearl. That's gigantic pearl. And then the streets of the New Jerusalem, remember going horizontally and vertically? Well, they're made out of that pure gold, like transparent glass. And there it is. This is what you've always heard about heaven with streets of gold and a pearly gate. It comes from this verse right here, verse 21 of Revelation 21. And so how amazing the reality is. Look what God has done. How far he goes, what materials he uses to build this wonderful place for you and I to stay in, to live in. And you know, one thought about the pearls, it could be that God put the gates, I made the gates out of the pearl, uh, because perhaps it represents Jesus' sacrifice for us. That we don't deserve a place like this, but it's Jesus who made the way for us. Uh, see, 
all the other materials I read, uh, they are uh, like precious stones, right? Gems. But the pearl, you know, is a little bit different, right? It's formed from a living being. You guys know, right? The oyster, right, uh, gets an irritation or a rock or a wound, perhaps, and then it, 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 it from that injury or, or, or irritation, it begins to build that pearl inside of it, right? And that's when, when you open the oyster, there's a pearl inside. So think about it this way. The pearl is the answer to what is bringing that injury, that wound. Well, like the Son of God, Jesus is the answer to man's wound, the injury of sin. And Jesus' blood covers our sin. So it could be every time in eternity we pass through the gates, we're reminded how through Jesus we have access to this heaven. All right, so our last point here this morning is this. The high-end materials speak of how far God will go to show his love and care for us. Isn't that great to see it that way? I mean, this is all high-end stuff. And God does that for us. And God gives that to us just because we've been saved and we're his children and it's nothing we worked or saved for. It's just given to us freely. Sorry, my phone is talking to me. You know, years ago... um, we had to go to Oahu for something, and the whole, our regular hotels were booked. And I, I found on there was a sale for um, staying at Trump Hotel, and I, I heard about it and everything in Honolulu. So I well, let's let's book there. This would be kind of fun, and it was a, a real, real good, you know, price. And uh, I, I, it was like wow when we got there and how we were greeted and 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 the rooms and the marble and everything. I mean. We, it was crazy, yeah, just, just how high-end this was. And uh, I felt so pampered and like, oh, wow, this is really nice. I say that because I don't know what the nicest hotels you guys have stayed at. But think about the nicest hotel and think about it even like a thousand times more, yeah? That's going to be our place at the end of the age. That's going to be our home. That's going to be where we will dwell forever into eternity. So I understand, God's going to go all out yeah, for us. And God goes all out for us today. Just keep that in mind. He's going all out. There are blessings all around us in our life. They are, sometimes we don't see them. They're not like huge miracles. But sometimes there's things going on Little miracles, little things he does, huh? yeah. Little, little things he provides. You know, he provides for us, and it, wow. And and you, if you look for them, you start seeing them. I call them fingerprints of God. It may not be something huge in front of your face, but they're still there every day in our life. Little things that happen, but they all build up these fingerprints to tell you, oh, God is there. God is blessing. And you know, understand that. We need every day, and I would say at the beginning of the day and even at the end of the day or middle of the day, just remember, bring your sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord regularly. Regularly, you guys. God is blessing. He's, he's doing 
so much. He's, he's going out of his way. He doesn't hold back. He's, he's doing so much for you. Understand it and bring that sacrifice of thanksgiving. Because you know what happens when you don't? We end up what? I know what I do. I end up just focusing on the bad and on the lack and on the trials and on the troubles. And all I'm doing is focusing on that and I miss those fingerprints, right? And when I focus in on, on, on the bad stuff and the hard stuff and the suffering stuff and all of that, you know what happens? My heart gets dark. I don't know about you. My heart gets dark. I complain. I'm more grouchy. I'm more critical. But I'll tell you something. When I start to regularly thank God more, um, I, I, actually I write it down in my prayer list so I don't get lost in myself, in my own suffering or pain. But if I force myself to thank God, then I see what God is doing. And you know what? That fills my heart. The light of God's presence in my life dispels that darkness. So what would you rather have, darkness or light in your heart? Let's be grateful. God, he's not going to skimp. God is going to continue to move in your life. And we're going to see in heaven, it's going to be oh, top notch. Yeah. Well, he's doing the same even right now. Well, as we close, there will come a time when we as believers will, will reach this destination. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a five-star hotel or beyond ten stars. Yeah, it, it will be our home forever. That's our future location. I'll close with this. I read about how a bank in Bing, Binghamton, New York, uh, they called the florist to send some flowers to a business that had recently opened, and uh, 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 they, they opened an account at the bank, and so the bank wanted to just, you know, uh, bless them and all. So, uh, you know, they were expanding, got a new loan, they moved into a new building. So this bank uh, decided to send flowers and, like, sort of a congratulations because they just moved and expanded. But there was a mix-up at the floors, and there was a mix-up with the flowers. The flowers got switched with someone uh, who was going, uh, uh, who had passed away. The flowers were going to a funeral home. So the business mistakenly received the arrangement uh, with a card that read, with our deepest sympathy, sympathy, rest in peace. When the mistake was called out, from the bank, the florist tried to be positive about the switch-up and told the bank, well, it could have been worse, for there's an arrangement at a grave somewhere that reads, congratulations on your new location. That's it, you guys. Our final heaven and that new location is going to be incredible. Our future looks good, guys. Our future looks good. And so I hope God has given you hope and comfort today as we have taken this tour, begun this tour, a tour of our place in eternity. Let's pray. Lord, as we close up today, I ask God that you would help us to receive your word today as truth. Even though how mind-blowing all of this is, how incredible, and it's just hard to perceive and understand, God, by faith we take it that you're doing this, that you will make this, that 
you, you'll go far and above that we can even imagine when you build this place and present it to us. God, we are in awe of your love for us and that you would even do and give us a place to live like this, but we know it's because of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here today as we close up that at the sound of my voice, if they have not received Jesus Christ, that this would be the time to do so. That this would be the day, the day of salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would draw those who have wandered away, that you would draw them back. That you would bring those who have been distant, God, and, and maybe riding the line even, or maybe even crossed way over, that you would bring back the prodigal sons and daughters today. And Lord, I just pray and ask, God, that you move upon their hearts right now by your Spirit, and perhaps they would pray this prayer. Now I'm going to pause here. Everyone's eyes are closed. If there's anyone here at the sound of my voice who wants to receive Christ, who wants to rededicate their lives, just pray this simple prayer. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. Cleanse me and forgive me now. Come into my life as I surrender my life to you. And as I receive you as my Lord and Savior, make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray for anyone who's prayed that prayer, anybody who's rededicated their life, Lord. God, <clears throat> that they would, by your Spirit, have a strong sense of your presence now. Have the guilt lifted off. And feel your forgiveness like never before. Lord, we pray for our hearts also, Lord. God, things have come into our hearts, have stolen parts of our heart away. God, we want to give them back to you right now. And so, Lord, we surrender all to you. And especially those voices in our heads that tell us we're not loved, that we're condemned, that we're not good enough for you, God. Lord, we, we put them at the foot of the cross and we put our faith in the truth of you, the word of God and what it tells us. So, Lord, thank you for being with us, for speaking to us. Thank you that you are here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.